But we're going to open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. As we've been going through this epistle, which is a fairly short epistle, but very rich because keep in mind that we are reading the last words of the Apostle Paul that we have recorded in the New Testament. Paul is now in his second imprisonment in Rome as the emperor of Rome, Caesar Nero. He is heavily persecuting the Christians. He is having them arrested and be put to death. The historian Tatikus records that Christians were, quote, covered with skins of beasts, and then they were torn apart by wild dogs. They were nailed to crosses, were doomed to the flames, and in narrow added mockery of every sort to add to their deaths. This is very difficult times for the Christians. Paul, as you recall, in his first imprisonment five years prior to this, would then be acquitted as he stood before Caesar Nero. He would continue to travel. And he, at that first imprisonment, as we discussed, was under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. Now as he is rearrested during this time of persecution, he is placed in a dungeon, a Mamertine dungeon, which was a cistern. It was a hole in the ground, a dark, damp, terrible place. And Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, to encourage him in his walk with the Lord, his faithfulness to the Lord in his ministry uh, as a pastor there at the church of Ephesus. And so, Father, as we read these words, these are more than just words that were written to Timothy personally. They were. But these are words that were inspired by you, Lord, so that we can have them today. And there is a message for us today in the days in which we are living in that we are to persevere to, for faithfulness to how we can endure. Lord, I pray that we would take heed and pay attention to the things that you say here and that these things would be worked out in our lives. So, Lord, we commit this time to the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's writing his last letter that we have recorded in the New Testament. He knows that his departure is at hand. His departure from this world is soon. And now he writes to encourage Timothy and his ministry. And Timothy was facing the challenges, as we've discussed, from within the church. Because in 1 Timothy, that Paul wrote to him five years prior to this, we had Timothy, you must continue in sound doctrine and don't be given in to those who are teaching fables and myths and the legalists that teach and have no understanding what it is that they're saying. Those who are bringing this prosperity type of gospel that godliness is a means of gain, you withdraw yourself from. And so Timothy has this task of in this large church of Ephesus that also would have influence of the churches throughout Proconsular Asia, that he's having to deal with those who want to establish false doctrine or doctrine that's not sound. And not only that, but then he has the external forces of Rome coming against the Christians and threatening the Christians. But you got to keep in mind as well that as we read these words, Paul and Timothy were very, very close. They, they had a deep bond of love that can only be found in Christ Jesus. And you can sense that here as we are reading these words. 
and, and Timothy having a deep love for Paul. He's been with Paul for over 20 years at this time. He learned from Paul the Apostle. He was discipled by Paul. He traveled with Paul, ministered alongside with Paul, even suffered with Paul. And as Paul is going to write at the end of this epistle, that Timothy, come to me quickly, that my departure is at hand. That Timothy is grieving right now. And he's grieving deeply for the soon loss of Paul the Apostle. And as Paul is facing death in this world, he writes to Timothy about the promise of life in Christ Jesus. He has abolished death and has brought life through the gospel. And you see, whenever someone gives a final word to those that they care for and those that they love, it is a heartfelt message, isn't it? Extremely important things are conveyed to the loved ones around them. And that's what Paul is doing to Timothy here. It's similar to what we can sense with Jesus when he was in the upper room with his disciples on that night before uh, his crucifixion, right before he would be arrested later on that evening as he had dinner with his disciples for the very last time. And he's meeting with them. And as you read the gospel narratives, and particular, particularly the upper room discourse in John's gospel, which John covers a quarter of his gospel in that upper room and the things that Jesus said to them. It is so rich. It is so heartfelt. And Jesus says with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. He, he says, I, I want to be with you at this time. And Jesus addresses some very important things with them uh, as he says to them that if you want to be great in the kingdom, because remember that they came into that room that night, they're still arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So Jesus girds himself with the towel. He has them sit down. He washes each of their feet. And he says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then follow my example. To be great means you're going to be washing feet. And he's ministering to them. And, and it's heavy things, and they're not understanding everything. I'm going to go away, and where I go right now, you can't come. And, and as he would bring comfort to them in chapter 14 of John, that don't be troubled in your hearts, though. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come back and receive you to myself, that where I am there you will be also. And you know the way. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you want to know what the heart and the essence and the nature of God is, the Father, then look to me. He would go on and say in chapter 15, that, that I'm the vine and abide in me. And as you do, you're going to produce fruit. And as you abide in me, that you're going to have a fullness of joy. In chapter 16, that I don't leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send another, the helper, the, the, the comforter, uh, the paracletus. Para means to come alongside, the Holy Spirit. He's going to come, but I'm not going to leave you alone. And those are heartfelt words that Jesus was given to them, even as Paul here is doing that with Timothy. And I greatly desire, Paul writes, as you recall in the opening of this epistle, I desire to see you, Timothy. But for now, Timothy, even though it's difficult days, and my life is going to come to an end as my head's going to be chopped off by the orders of Caesar Nero, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear 
but of power and love and of sound mind. In Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but share with me in, in the sufferings for the gospel. And young Timothy, I have suffered for the gospel. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And he's going to keep me to that day. And he continues encouraging him that you hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. And then as we moved into chapter 2, as we did that last time, therefore, Timothy, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that pattern of sound words, those things that you've heard from me, you now pass them on. Commit these things to faithful men because Paul now is in this dungeon. He's not getting out. He's not going to be able to spend time personally with Timothy or with Titus or any of those men that he discipled. So I am passing the baton now to you, Timothy, and you commit these things, the gospel sound doctrine you commit them to faithful men is what you're to do and you are to persevere you're to have endurance you're to keep going so in verse 3 as we saw last time you must endure hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life and so he's using analogies that they could easily understand there was a lot of Roman soldiers around in the Roman Empire. So when Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about that, that we have this spiritual warfare going on, put on the whole armor of God, and he names those pieces of armor that they could relate to it because they would see the Roman soldiers with the helmet and the breastplate and, and, and all of that and, and the sword and, and things like that. So they knew the armor of God. They knew what Paul was talking about, that a soldier that is dedicated to the Roman Empire, that he's dedicated to the cause of Rome. He's dedicated to the king of Rome. And you and your spiritual walk, you be enduring hardship because it's going to be hard. It's a spiritual battle that is out there. And you're doing it for your commanding officer, Jesus Christ. Endure hardship as a soldier of Jesus. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. And secondly, now as we pick up our text here, he also writes, also if anyone competes in uh, athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So now Paul uses the illustration in this whole area of faithfulness and endurance that, that first of all, you be like a soldier. And then second of all, you be like an athlete. In the New Testament, Paul uses illustrations uh, concerning sports like wrestling. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, blood but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in, in high places. Uh, he would use illustrations of boxing, running, run your race to win the prize, of exercising. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 4? Hey, you're to exercise godliness. And in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, they were very enthusiastic about sports, just as we are today in, in our culture. They had the ancient Olympic Games. They had the Isthmus Games. And, and as he's talking about the athlete that trains, that has to run a race, they would understand the analogy. Now, if anyone was going to receive the prize, the crown, he must compete according to the rules. You cannot just make up the rules as you please. And as Paul uses that analogy of an athlete competing and winning the prize, it applies to us in this. You must be a Christian to qualify for that race. You see, this is a spiritual race. 
he's not talking about the rat race of the world. We qualify for the race as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, as we are forgiven of sin, as we're born again by the Spirit of God, as we become sons and daughters of the living God, and now we belong to the kingdom of God. We are in this world, and now we are running a race. So that's how we qualify for the race. And as Paul continues, he says that you must know the rules to get the prize. Now, in the Bible, as most of you know, we've gone over this, but it talks about how there are rewards and crowns that will be given to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Romans chapter 14 tells you and me that we will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I remember when I was a young Christian, when I first read that, it kind of scared me. You mean I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ? I hope I'm good enough to make it to heaven. You know, I came in faith, but do I have to work for my salvation? That's not what Paul is saying, that we cannot work for our salvation. Jesus, he took the judgment for you and me on the cross at Calvary. So we're clear on that. But as they would read that, the reader back at that time, they would read that we must stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. They knew exactly what that meant. And that is in those Olympic Games, in the Isthmus Games, that if they won an event, they would stand at the Bema reward seat to receive the reward, the prize for winning their event. So you're going to receive rewards that the New Testament talks about and crowns for what you have done, he says, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And you see, there are rewards that are going to be given to you and to me for what we have done for Christ, not being judged for our sins. We can't work for our salvation. But what we have done for Christ, the New Testament talks a whole lot about that. And this is what you need to keep in mind, and I need to keep in mind. Those rewards and crowns, it is an eternal reward. Now, the context here, again, being faithfulness. Timothy, be faithful to what God has called you to do, to your ministry. Be one that you're going to endure hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Be an athlete that is disciplined, who trains Again, make sacrifice and commitment who desires to live godly as you're faithful to what God has called you to do and as he has called you to live. Now, here's the thing about the race. It is a marathon. Will you please remember that? It is not a sprint. Now, I'm not by nature a runner. I, I you know, ran some track in, when I was in uh, middle school and high school. Uh, wasn't super good, but uh, one of the things that with the kids that I've done in the last years is we'll run a 5K race, the Turkey Trot, 4th of July race. We've run the Boulder Boulder, the Fortitude. And one of the things about any of you that have done that, and, and what I do is, is I got just this pace that I go at to run, for example, a 5K race. And whenever I do that, as the, the gun goes off, Everybody runs past me, everybody, because I'm slow. And everybody's running, and I have found something that as I go at my pace, after the first mile marker, the second mile marker, I actually start passing people up because they're winded. And they started out sprinting, and they're on, you know, doing this and trying to catch their breath, or they're walking, or they're over in the bushes throwing up. I don't know. But... <laughs> You know, they're just, they went too fast, and they ended up quitting. They ended up walking. 
And you see, this is a marathon for you and for me. To go at the pace that God has given us and the ability to go. And if a runner who trains for an event, the Olympics, or for competition, we know that that runner has to be disciplined. You have to be committed to the instructions of your coach or trainer, what he tells you to do and how to be, you know, faithful in, in training for this race. Now, if a trainer tells an athlete, this is how you are to train, this is your schedule, this is how you take care of yourself, this is your diet and all of this, what if the athlete says, hey, I'll do what I want to do. I'll train when I want to train. Um, I'll eat what I want to eat. I'm going to eat a bunch of hot dogs before the race and all of this. And I know I'm being a little bit silly here, but there's a point in this. In our spiritual race, listen, if we say, I don't have time to be reading the word, I don't have time to pray, I, I don't want to be in fellowship with others, or I'll compromise and live a carnal life or get involved in sin, whatever it might be, that which is contrary to how God wants you to live, and you make up your own rules, then you are going to be weak. And you are going to tire easily in the race that you are running. And here's the thing to remember, that it is your race. Acts chapter 20. Paul would say, I'm determined to finish my race with joy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I finished my race. You're not competing against anyone else. You're not competing against another Christian. Don't think, well, you know, I'm really running, you know, that person is running strong and, and they're running fast for the Lord. And I'm just kind of limping along and I guess I'm going to lose out. You have a race to run that the Lord has given to you. You're not competing against me or anybody else. You're not running to race to please people or to become famous. And here Timothy is being told, don't get entangled with the affairs of this world. With running the race, we know that the author of Hebrews, which very uh, well could have been Paul that was used to write these words down. But in Hebrews chapter 12, these are verses that you're familiar with, verses 1 and 2, that we read, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So how is it that we're told that we can run with endurance? Well, we are told that we are to do it, lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. When you run a race, if you run, you know, a 5K race, you're not going to run with a backpack on or ankle weights on. You want to wear light clothing. You want to be able to be free to run, to move your arms and to move your legs. Listen, sin and carnality, it will weigh you down and it will entangle you. It will cause you to just be all tied up. And so the author is saying, don't do that. Don't sin. Don't get weighed down. Don't entangle yourself here with the affairs of this world. And then second of all, how do we run in endurance in this spiritual race that we are running? That you look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You keep focused on him. Now, again, running a 5K race, you run the course. You keep running, you keep looking forward. And if I was to, to look over here and say, 
oh, those are really pretty flowers. I think I'll go over there and sniff the roses and all of this. I don't do that. I got to keep running. I got to keep going forward. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get distracted. There's a lot of things that will pull us away from him. Jesus said, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. So keep running. Keep running your race. You know, keep running and, and run with endurance. And then the third illustration of faithfulness, verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Paul's third illustration of that of, of farmers, uh, first of all, be like a soldier in this battle that we're in. An athlete works diligently and sacrificially over a period of time, and the end result is the reward. Persevere for God with the attitude, thirdly, of a farmer. He is faithful to work hard to produce a crop. Timothy, you in your walk with the Lord, in your ministry to the Lord, as a pastor, you must keep fighting. You keep running your race. Don't drop out. And you work hard for the kingdom of God. You sow seeds of the Spirit and don't be lazy. We think of a farmer, we automatically think of somebody who works very, very hard, and they do. I personally believe that there's no place for us as Christians to be lazy when it comes to our service for the Lord and to be lazy concerning living for him, desiring to please him for the kingdom of God. When you read the Bible, there's nothing positive that the Lord says about laziness. Matter of fact, when you read the book of Proverbs, he ties in laziness with the fool. And Paul was one that worked hard. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes that I labor more than all of them. He's speaking of the other apostles. And when Paul was writing years previous, five years to this letter in 1 Timothy, given the qualifications of an overseer, if a man desires a position of an overseer, he desires a good work. But the good the first characteristic of an overseer is working. It is work. It's a good work. So Paul is saying you must be like a farmer who works hard. A farmer that's going to be faithful to produce a crop. You got to keep working at it, Timothy. Keep moving forward like a hardworking farmer. It's not working for our salvation, but there are seeds to be sown because there is a harvest. Now we got people here in Weld County we're known for uh, uh, agriculture and, and many in the fellowship, some that, that work the land. And I have always appreciated those who farm and work the land. And I don't pretend to know anything about farming. I, I don't. But I've come to really appreciate those who farm even more, especially in this last year, because when Sue's uh, father passed away, that uh, the family... Uh, farmland that they had passed to Sue and her brother. And so we went up to Minnesota last year to, to look at um, the land. And, the, and her cousin uh, f has farmed it for years and years. So we went up and talked to Dean and we saw the operation and, and he farms, you know, the family farms and everything. And he showed us the equipment and how expensive the equipment is. I couldn't believe it. I, I, I thought that cars were expensive. But farm equipment and, and the process of planning and all the things that can go wrong, the challenges. He had a barn that was blown over by a tornado, floods and droughts and pests and weeds and improvements and 
you know, he's talking about we need to take out this windrow of trees and we need to put in some more tiling. And I didn't know what tiling was. Perforated pipe that they put in the ground up there to get rid of the water. Here we're trying to bring in the water. And the water goes into the irrigation ditch. That, it's not an irrigation ditch, but in the ditch that goes into the river. And that's why the rivers were overflowing in the Midwest. There's all kinds of challenges, and, and some of you at farm, you have been through that, hailstorms and, and, and just difficulties and droughts and all of that. And it is constantly working to get a crop all year long. Now, back at this time, 2,000 years ago, I've read to statistics where 80% of the people worked the soil. There wasn't the grocery stores like what we have today, and and um, so uh, people grew their own crops in a lot of ways if they could. Uh, they raised their own, you know, livestock uh, uh, to have some meat and things like that. If you went to the marketplace, it was more expensive in town to buy meat or any, anywhere else. And, of course, you have the whole idea of, of meat offered to idols and things like that. But my dad's generation that who has gone home to be with the Lord, he grew up on a farm. And some of us, our parents, our grandparents, they, they grew up on farms. And Sue's dad, I've already said, grew up on a farm in Minnesota. Today I'm reading the statistics that less than 2% of the people in this nation farm, farm the land. Less than 2% of the population produce all the food that we eat, that we have in the grocery stores. And not only for a country, but throughout the world. They say that the average age of the farmer today is 60 years of age. Now, in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, excavation shows that at the temple of Artemis, a beautiful temple, it was dedicated to Diana worship, that the temple owned tens of thousands of acres, that the people that served at that temple would work those farms to bring produce to Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city. It was a banking center. So they would offer the produce to the gods, um, those who worship there, as well as the meat, as you know that the Bible talks about meat offered idols. And Paul says, be sensitive to, to that. That's a whole different issue. But again, a lot of the people worked the land back then. And they had to work hard just as they do today to produce a crop. If you want to produce a crop, you can't be idle, you can't be lazy. So in these illustrations, a diligent soldier gains the approval of his commanding officer. A diligent athlete wins the victory. A diligent farmer wins the first share of the crops. So these illustrations are given to us so that we might be successful, if you would, in the best sense of the word, concerning the, the work and, and commitment, um, being single-mindedness, submitted to the Lord. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, I labor more abundantly than they all. He wasn't boasting in himself. He wasn't propping himself up. He goes on to say, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And you see, Paul, as he's writing here in chapter 2 about faithfulness and keep going and keep fighting and run your race and all of this, remember, it's tied to 
in verse 1 of the chapter, that you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul knew the balance, working hard, making a, a, a decision. I want to be committed to you, Lord. I want to yield to you. I want to keep running my race. I don't want to be lazy in my, my service to you. But it's all by grace, knowing that the Lord will enable us to do it. And that's the wonderful thing. It isn't I'm going to be tough and I'm going to, you know, grip my teeth and do it in a fleshly kind of way. No, I'm yielded to you, Lord, that you enable me through the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you've called me to do, to live the way that you want me to live. So Paul writes, consider what I say in verse 7, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. When Paul writes, and may the Lord give you understanding, it could be translated, the Lord will give you understanding as he considers the things that, that is being written here, the person. God will be faithful to speak to your heart. Now, last week, again, you recall in chapter 1 or two weeks ago, in verse 14, that we read that Timothy was told, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So the Holy Spirit, he lives inside of us, giving us understanding as we seek him, as we seek the word of God, and then enabling us to live for him, to keep running, to keep fighting, to keep planting good seeds. Timothy, be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Endure hardship, the way to stay faithful, to persevere, because this is a lifelong process. Keep fighting. This is a special warfare. The enemy never quits. He never quits coming at you. He's not going to stop throwing the fiery darts at you. Remember Moses in chapter 31 of Numbers, if you've read that chapter? That the Lord came to Moses when he's 120 years old. And he says, Moses, I got one more battle for you to fight. And that's against the Midianites. Then I'm going to take you home to be with your people. Moses had that battle going on all the times. Always something that was taking place clear up until the time the Lord would take him to be with his people. And it's the same with you and I. The enemy will always be coming against us. So the spiritual battle will continue on this side of eternity. Don't stop running your race before it's over. Keep looking forward, press forward, as Paul would write in Philippians, pressing towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't stop plowing the ground, sowing seeds, working for a good crop to come. Don't be lazy. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 tells us, Don't grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And he continues writing in verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Paul talking about, you know, endurance, faithfulness, now gives the ultimate example, one who has those qualities, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He would endure the sufferings of the cross as the sinless Lamb of God. He would rise from the dead. Jesus is the seed of David. He's the promised Messiah who inherited all the Old Testament promises concerning the everlasting kingdom of God. And when Paul writes here saying, according to my gospel, he's not saying this is something that I made up. We know from Galatians that he writes, doesn't he, that the gospel was taught to him personally by the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying that it is my gospel, he's saying it is my gospel personally. I believe it. I've embraced it. In the book of Romans, you know that the theme is in chapter 1, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And then at the end of the book of 
Romans, he writes, it is my gospel. It is my gospel personally. In his first letter to Timothy, I've been privileged to teach this glorious gospel. So the question for all of us is, is it your gospel personally? Gospel means good news. Gospel, the good news that has the power to save anyone who believes. Is it your gospel personally? And you see, I know that a vast majority of the people that have come through this morning, that you say, yes, it is my gospel. I come to Christ. I've asked for forgiveness. I've surrendered my life to him. He's my Lord and Savior. But perhaps somebody is here this morning and you can't say it's my gospel. I know Jesus died for my sins and, you know, and he was put in grave and rose again. But have you embraced it personally yourself? Can you say it's my gospel? And you see, that's what Paul is saying here. It's my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and eternal glory. He says, I'm in this dungeon because of the gospel. Uh, I'm in this dungeon suffering for the cause of the gospel. You see, Paul's ministry didn't bring him glamour or ease. It didn't bring him prosperity. It didn't bring him, you know, the best of you, the champion in you, the, the every day's a Friday kind of stuff. He said, I'm suffering for it. And as I read these verses that we just went through, the message that I'm getting in this chapter is, I don't live for myself. I live for Christ. And as you and I live for Christ, that means there's going to be some hardships and there's going to be some sufferings that we are going to end up enduring. And we will probably never be thrown to the lions or thrown into a dungeon where we're going to be beheaded. There are some people that in parts of the world, we have brothers and sisters that are experiencing that kind of persecution. They're being put to death or beaten. And I am thankful that I live in a nation where we're not persecuted like that. But you and I, as we live godly in Christ Jesus, we will be told as we continue in this epistle that we will experience persecution. We will go through some sort of hardship of suffering for Christ. It might be in relationship with others. It might be in your business or in your job. It might be at school for you who are up on the campus. That this world is going to come against us. And we are to endure. Again, Paul is saying, not that this is such a horrible life that you will live as a Christian. You see, it is hard in the days in which we're living in and being a Christian. But I think it would be much harder not being a Christian. And the world that you see and that you live in is going to come against you. And they are going to see you as an evildoer, just as Paul is writing. And he is chained here. And Paul, having a heavenly perspective to where he would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light affliction is, which is but for a moment, is working for a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. They can chain me up like a criminal, but I'm going to heaven. And the glory of heaven cannot be compared to the afflictions that we experience presently. I may be chained, but here's the good news, and this has brought me comfort this week. You can't chain the word of God. Throughout church history, there have been those who have come along and tried to chain the word of God, keep the word of God away from Christians. I grew up in the Catholic church where for 1,400 years they locked up the Bible. 
and that only the priest would be able to read it. You couldn't read the Bible. There's other examples throughout church history that, that we see that the Word of God has tried to be kept away from believers, from, from people. And even today, as we're hearing that I, we don't want to hear the Christmas story at this Christmas season, you keep your verses to yourself. And a culture that's more antagonistic against us and the Word of God, listen, the Word of God will not be chained. And that's good news for me. And that brings comfort to me. I want to just be faithful to pass it on to others. Because Paul says, listen, listen, there's an important thing that we need to understand. I'm going to keep doing this, that there also may be others that they come to salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There is a harvest. There are souls at stake here. And we want to give the truth of God's word to others, the gospel that they may come to salvation. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words that are an encouragement to us because sometimes we just think, oh, it's difficult and it's hard, but we are being told to endure that, to persevere, and it isn't in our own strength. We know that, Lord. It is by you working in us, being faithful to us, Lord. So we are to run our race we are to keep fighting the good fight and to remember that it is a good fight. And we are to keep sowing seeds. Sowing seeds to the Spirit. And of the Spirit, we will reap everlasting life, not only for ourselves, but to bring that message of the gospel to others. I pray that we wouldn't get discouraged and, and give up. Quit running. Get lazy. Stop fighting. Because it does get hard, but Lord, help us to be strong in you. And Father, I want to pray this morning, if there's anyone listening, that perhaps you cannot say honestly in your heart that it is my gospel. It is my gospel. That the invitation is given to you to receive the gospel, to make it yours personally, to receive Jesus. It's a message that you're receiving of good news, but it's receiving Jesus personally because he is your hope, the way, the truth. He's the one that brings eternal life, nothing else and no one else. He went to the cross to die for you personally, individually, specifically. And he says to you this morning, I love you and I want to save you. I provided forgiveness as I died on the cross for you. I'm alive because I rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. He proved he's the son of God. He is your salvation. And today is the day of salvation, please. He's calling to you to come. Come to me. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Repent. Change direction that you're going and turn to Jesus now. Your hope. Your savior. The one has provided forgiveness and eternal life and right relationship with the Father. And you can do that right now, right where you're sitting, sincerely in your heart, that I come to you, Jesus, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, and I thank you for your love for me. And I believe you're alive. And I now ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior, that this is now my gospel. And I thank you for your forgiveness, for this new beginning, bringing me to the family of God, 
So help me to run my race now and to fight the good fight. And don't grow weary in sowing seeds to the Spirit. Help me, Lord. Teach me. I thank you for bringing me here. I thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, sincerely, we got a prayer team that's going to be up front here in just a minute as we close. Come up and tell them the decision that you made for Jesus. We want to encourage you and bless you. For all of us, Lord, I pray that this Christmas season, help us to be strong in you. And as we enter into a new year, to keep going with endurance faithfulness towards you work those things out in our lives because there's people around us that need to see the gospel being worked out in our lives so Lord we thank you for this morning we thank you that we can be a light to others may we be a light the message of Jesus coming and being the savior of the world at this Christmas season and in the new year it's in Jesus name that we pray 